0: Welcome to the 514th episode of Travel It's Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, and we are in the 12th season of Travel Itch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every
1: week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got
0: everything to do with Travelich Radio. And tonight, we're talking about the legendary Grand Canyon Railway, and its 100th anniversary for its steam engine, and also bringing in Janelle Smith to talk about Recreation.gov. She'll be joining us halfway through. First, let's talk trains, a favorite topic on Travel it Radio. This is the 100th anniversary of the very last active American steam engine running regular scheduled service on standard gauge tracks. So happy birthday to number 4960 of the Grand Canyon Railway in Williams, Arizona.
1: In August, this steam engine will mark its birthday by hauling trains from Williams to the south rim of the Grand Canyon on four Saturdays, August 5th, 12th, and 19th, and will also run on select days now through October. There's even going to be a special birthday party for the iconic locomotive in Williams
0: on August 12th. If you're going to bring in a present, a nice can of French fry oil would be helpful but we hear this engine has been converted to a carbon-neutral system that runs on recycled French fry oil and harvested snowmelt. You've got to be kidding me. The Grand Canyon Railway is lucky to have her, a rare sight and sound in the 21st century, and reservations are highly recommended since people plan to come from all over the world to see this legendary locomotive in action.
1: Dan, what's planned for the big birthday
0: bash on August 12th? Well, for one thing, child's book author Aaron Johnson, who wrote a series called National Park Mysteries, will be signing books in the Grand Canyon Railway Depot. The first 100 ticketed children will get complimentary copies. The train will depart for Grand Canyon National Park at 930 with special displays and demonstrations at the other end after its arrival at 1145. And then it will head back to Williams at 3.30. Will
1: it have a special welcome when it returns to Williams?
0: You bet. It's going to have a fife and drum corps meeting the train when it arrives.
1: What makes the train so different than the typical steam engine that burns
0: coal, oil, or wood? Well, actually, it operates on waste vegetable oil and harvested snowmelt. It has a neutral carbon footprint, and get this, it makes the train run more smoothly. The Grand Canyon Railway is, therefore, the first U.S. tourist railroad with ISO 14,001 third-party certification of its environmental management system. And, by the way, the railroad reduces the number of cars in the national park by an estimated, get this, 70,000 per year.
1: Hmm. We'd like to tell our listeners more about the locomotive. She was built in 1923 by the Baldwin Locomotive Works in Philadelphia for the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. She was later used to run fan trips on the line until the end of its steam excursion program in 1966. The engine was acquired by the Grand Canyon Railway in 1989 underwent an extensive conversion to burn waste vegetable oil, as Dan said, and has been in active service since.
0: How do Travel Itch Radio listeners learn more or book tickets?
1: Dan, they can do it online at the www.thetrain.com or call 1-800-843-8724.
0: Thank you so much, Mary Ellen. I've ridden that steamer and would love to go again. For anybody Mm -hmm. who has not ridden a steam locomotive, and I I venture to say most of our listeners probably haven't. They probably haven't even seen one except in the movies or on TV. You've got to do it. It's an experience. It's almost like a living person is the locomotive because it's so active. It makes so much noise and creates so much energy. I suppose it's the right word. Have you ever ridden a steam engine, Mary Ellen?
1: No, I haven't, and boy, I would love to see this one, especially a 100 years old. Can you imagine? That's carbon neutral.
0: I've always heard about the Baldwin Locomotive Works. I can only imagine what that factory in Philadelphia was like in 1923. That's just incredible to me. I mean, Babe Ruth was just starting to hit home runs for the Yankees back then.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely.
0: But I think what really gets always always baseball.
1: (laughs) But what really gets to me is that the way it's it's been recalibrated, it can actually reduce seventy thousand cars per year. I think that's amazing.
0: It is, and anybody who's ever been to the Grand Canyon in the summer, which is peak season, the traffic can be choking. It's so much better to go by train. And you can actually take the train and stay over in the Grand Canyon. You don't have to take the train back the same day. So that's a big plus, too. Because there's really not that much time. If the train arrives at 1145 and leaves again at 330, that's not a whole lot of time. I mean, you'll get something to eat. You'll make a pit stop. It's time to get on board the train again. So I would much (laughs) prefer to stay over, even spend a couple of days. Just bring your stuff with you on the train. It sounds wonderful to me. And they do have transportation at the top. You don't need to have a car up there. In fact, it's better if you don't, because you'll be spending a lot of time just looking for parking. So yes. if you can avoid parking and traffic, I think it's a great idea. And the train ride is great. It's, it's a beautiful area of the country, the southwest, and especially around the Grand Canyon. So I strongly recommend it. It's the Grand Canyon Railway. Look it up, listeners. Grand Canyon Railway. Hundredth anniversary of the steam engine is gonna be in August. So that's not too far away. So if you want to get out there, now's the time. There are gonna have runs through October, but August is the big time and that party, August twelfth. Isn't that the date we said, Mary Ellen? August twelfth? For the big August birthday 12th. party. August twelfth.
1: What a party. August twelfth.
0: That should be good. And I want to tell our listeners that you are listening to Travel Itch Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mariella Nugent-Lee. Listen to us on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or check out the archive show anytime on Facebook. And now let's bring in tonight's special guest, Janelle Smith, Strategic Communications Lead and Recreation One Stop, R1S, for Recreation.gov, part of the USDA Forest Service. Welcome to Travel Traveler's Radio, Janelle.
2: Well, I'm so delighted to be here with
0: you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you made time for us. You know, until I went to IPW San Antonio in May, I must confess I never heard of Recreation.gov. I'm sure many of our listeners feel the same way, Janelle. So please tell us what it is and what it can do for travelers.
2: You know, I'm just going to to first comment on this Grand Canyon Railway, and um, I, yeah, sign me up. It sounds amazing, uh, and I <laughs> you know I could see that it would be amazingly popular. So just like they um, encourage you to to make reservations, recreation.gov is that place where you can make reservations for some of your favorite national parks or forests or wildlife refuges, um, Army Corps lakes. Uh, you know, all of these different federal lands that are popular and becoming more and more popular every single day and every year. So it's a website. It's a mobile app. It's our call center. And you can make reservations um, for camping, uh, whitewater rafting. You can get a ticket to tour a national monument. Uh, you know, the, the the opportunities are really quite endless. And I, I guess the way I look at it is the bottom line. It's really the federal government's gateway to fun.
0: Mm.
1: Now, the website has information on more than 300 national parks and historic sites, everything from Glacier and Great Smoky Mountains to Assateague Island National Seashore, known for wild ponies that swim, and even the Steamtown National Historic Site, the only national park site with moving parts. If I were considering potential vacation sites for the rest of the summer, how should I use Recreation.gov?
2: Well, you know, the first thing I want to point out is, um, yes, uh, we have a lot, if not most, of the national parks and a lot of their recreation opportunities on Recreation.gov, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's it's your forests, it's um, wildlife refuges, Army Corps lakes, as I mentioned earlier, so it's all of the federal lands across the entire country and those um, recreation opportunities they make available to you. So um, it's not just, just the information, it's also those reservations, which we're gonna talk about here in a minute. So a couple of the features I really like and use for our trips, um, even just for our family, one is a trip builder tool and allows you to map your route. So for me, I'm going from Boise, Idaho to Whitefish this summer. Um, So once I put those two points in the map, it populates from our database all of the different recreation opportunities along that route. So that's trailheads, um, campgrounds, tours for, you know, some sort of um, attraction along the way, wilderness hiking permits, and just so much more. I've discovered so many places I didn't know were along those routes doing that. And there's also a map right on the home page. And if you say you just landed somewhere and you want to see what's right around that destination, Phoenix, Arizona, you just um, drill in, zoom into that destination, and again, it will populate all of the different um, recreation opportunities right there. Um, My problem though is I start using these tools, um, and I've been with this program now for about 10 years. My bucket list is, it's too long, I'll never ever get through it all.
1: That's what I was thinking. Your bucket list will go (laughs) burst. Now, also, doesn't Recreation.gov provide one-stop shopping for timed permits and passes?
2: Yes, we do. So for those um, agencies and for the local places that make them available to Gov, it's a place you can get. And timed entry is a really big deal right now. So places Mm. like Glacier National Park, Arches National Park, uh, and a few other parks that are so incredibly busy during their peak seasons are really metering out the amount of traffic um, and the number of visitors that come in at any given time throughout the throughout the day and it's really helping to reduce congestion. Um, so where there was problems with people just finding parking spots um, or sitting in traffic for you know a really long time these timed um, entry permits are really allowing that to, to spread out during the day. And so it's taking that pressure off, and really it's making it a better experience for people who are visiting.
1: Can people also buy tickets directly from the site?
2: Sure, sure. Um, the type of tickets that you would find on Recreation.gov would be for things like a ranger-led tour, say, of a cave like Timpanoga down in southern Utah, or, um, you know, say there's just special kinds of um, kind events that are offered. So those are the kinds of tickets um, that you would find. And, again, it's for those places that choose to bring those onto Rec.gov.
0: Is it fair to say that Recreation.gov has information on camping, lodging, and even hunting, fishing, and recreational shooting.
2: Yeah, in fact, 25 years ago, when we Recreation.gov was, um, you know, just first launched and came onto the Internet, um, the backbone of that and the reason it was created was for camping reservations. And it, it continues to be more than half of all of the transactions and reservations that are made on Rec.gov. Um, so camping is the most popular of the activities. Um, in part of the camping suite, if you if you will, um, when you say lodging, there are things like really interesting, different types of accommodations. Say, a lookout tower that was once used to spot fires in the west. your um, mm-hmm. yurts, um, maybe cabins that were used as ranger housing you know years ago is now being rented out to people. So those are some really interesting, unique types of lodging. Um, yeah, there's um, there are some hunting permits available for Fish and Wildlife Service locations and wildlife refuges, um, and it gives you information about recreational shooting as well.
0: We're talking with Janelle Smith, and we're talking about Recreation.gov. Janelle, do you also have a mobile app so the travelers can have quick reference to your website?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Our mobile app is. Is really becoming the way people, um, you know, interact with recreation.gov. That and, and the mobile responsive website. So yeah, absolutely. We really encourage people to download that mobile app if they are they have reservations. It allows you to interact with the your reservation details um, when you're on the go and in the field. There's also different um, services that are offered um, that really are helpful to have. mobile app for. Uh, For example, Scan and Pay is a new um, service. When you can go to some of these uh, campsites that are still first come, first serve, a lot of them are offering a QR code. And so when you ride there, you claim the spot, just like you would any first come, first serve site. And then you scan this QR code to actually pay for it. The old way of doing that was to like put cash in an envelope and stick it in this big metal container. Um, And so this is really helping visitors and the, the local facilities alike.
1: What about open and coming lotteries? What would those be? And is that information readily available?
2: Yeah. In fact, I'm looking at a page right now, and it lists open lotteries. So those that are open right now, people um, can apply for them, are listed up front. And then as you scroll down the page, you'll see those that are coming soon. You know, it's something to think about when you think about the lotteries. These are some of the highest demand activities and locations in the entire system. And offering a lottery allows those local managers to really create a more fair way of distributing that opportunity. So um, they're often, you know, some of the most difficult reservations to make because they're in such high demand and the demand just simply outweighs the number of opportunities available. So it's, it's um, they're, they're super popular.
1: Now, I'm going to pepper you with a bunch of questions about the Adventure <laughs> Writing Contest. Is that an annual thing, or is that something new? Is it for professional writers, or can anybody enter? And can people win prizes for their entries?
2: Yeah, I, I really love this topic, so I'm happy to answer all those questions. <laughs> you know, it's, um, we just kicked off our third year of this contest, so it's still pretty new, um, we launched the third one in the first of June, and it is for amateur writers. And our staff loves reading their stories. Uh, so the yeah the prizes they can um, win REA gift cards and um, various amounts depending on the the prize that they win, and the interagency annual pass. So great deals. Um, so the categories are we have three grand prize winners um, for second and third. There are category winners and even monthly winners. Um, and for those that we also um, rise to the level of honorable mentions, those folks get uh, reflect of merch. Um, and we, you know, those stories are things that also help others as they're thinking about going to these places. If you read somebody's story about their experience there, It just gives you so much more insight into what you might expect and and maybe even get some inspiration to visit a place you've never heard of.
0: We're talking with Janelle Smith of Recreation.gov. Janelle, when I travel, I always want to know in advance approximately how much I'll have to spend. Does Recreation.gov help solve that problem by providing advance information?
2: Well, to a degree, you know, what we do provide. So if you're going to make a reservation, you'll know what the cost of say that campground is in advance because you, you will pay for that in advance before you actually arrive. So all of the fees that that go along with that are right there. Um, If, you know, there's some ranger led tours there, other things that you can reserve in advance. Yes. Recreation.gov provides all of that information for you. Um, When it comes to, um, you know, other types of activities that you'll engage with that are beyond the services that we provide, that is something we don't actually make available. Um, But there are some helpful links to some of those pages where you're making reservations out to like visitor bureaus or, say, like chamber of Commerce, where they're providing information about services within their communities that are often just gateways to a lot of these places. So hopefully that's helpful.
0: Do park fees go up every year? So if somebody wants to plan for 2024, is now the time they should do that before the fees and hotel prices increase?
2: Well, that's a great question. I, you know, I really can't speak for the park service um, in, on that. And I, from my experience, it's not every year, but they certainly do um, set fees and have fees for, um, you know, for entering the parks. Um, A really good deal I'll tell you about, though, is that I mentioned the interagency annual pass. Um, For all those locations that are a lot of times your big national parks, they have an entrance fee, say it's $35. The annual pass is $80. So if you visit, say, is it three parks in a given summer or season or year, which it's good for a whole year, you've more than paid for the pass doing that. really good deal if you find that you're going to be visiting several locations during the course of a year. Um, I And the other thing to keep in mind, because I know I'm really budget conscious too, um, is I like to visit our local national forests. Um, in fact, we're going up tomorrow. They're <laughs> going to be on the forest. And so many of those adventures that we have there are free. You know, the trailheads, many of those trailheads are free. Um, you know, there are some 1st um, campsites, and sometimes you can even go off the grid outside of the developed campgrounds and um, in national forests and other public lands and camp for free. So that's, you know, there's really economical ways to have amazing experiences outdoors.
0: This summer, your busiest season, I know many national parks are seasonal and closed by Labor Day or shortly after that.
2: Yeah, you know, the data that we have for all of the different locations that use Recreation.gov is that, yeah, we're right now in the peak of the outdoor recreation season, for sure. Um, And, you know, it's really interesting. We hear from a lot of those places. What they're trying to do is help sort of disperse traffic. So what we do and what our family tends to do is um, try to visit those places during non-peak season times. So, for example... Um, you know, just maybe just before they close for the season, or just as they're opening up in the spring, visit those places outside of those peak seasons, and then um, you know you can kind of check those off your bucket list uh, when they aren't quite so quite so busy and crowded. Hmm.
1: Now, Janelle, is there anything we haven't asked that you'd like to add?
2: Well, you know. Our, our team talks a lot, and as we work with um, those folks who manage these locations, they, they live and they welcome visitors. Um, you know, something that we really are encouraging people to do is, is, you know, a big campaign now to recreate responsibly. And really what it means is just to respect the land, um, respect each other, you know, be kind to your fellow travelers, um, and, and leave a place better than you found it. Uh, so that's just more important now than ever as we encounter bigger crowds to these places that we really love
0: i don 't know if you're allowed to say it, but can I ask you what your favorite parks are?
2: Well, um, as I mentioned earlier I, i'm not i don't have a favorite national park um, i'm really I really love our national forests and not just because I work for the forest Service <laughs> it 's just where I love to recreate. And there's the Sawtooth National Recreation Area in central Idaho. That is just stunning. Um, And I really love so many of the places that I can ride my mountain bike and hike and swim in the cool mountain lake.
0: And Mary Ellen and I would both like to know how you got into this in the first place.
2: Oh, gosh. You know, I um, really, I I caught the bug to work for um, land management um, in my 20s. I actually worked as a firefighter um, for uh, Forest, and I just, I got hooked after that, and uh, was at the time going to college for um, a career in communications and and marketing, and I've had an amazing career 30 years later. uh, I feel honored to be part of this program.
0: And where are you from originally?
2: I'm actually from Idaho. Yeah, I was born and raised. I've lived in a few other places along the way, but just came back home.
0: Okay. Mary Ellen, anything you'd like to add?
2: I
1: was wondering about the seashore. Uh, I know that you you mentioned that you've got all kinds of different recreation opportunities. I'm big on the seashore. Is there anything... Uh, that uh, you can find on Recreation.gov for beachgoers like me?
2: Absolutely. Um, There's many national seashores that are managed by the Park Service. Um, And then we also have NOAA sites, marine sanctuaries. And so you'll find um, information on So I'm looking at Point Reyes National Seashore right now. That's on the West Coast. Um, What they offer on our site are... um, tours of the lighthouse, which I'm looking at, as well as campgrounds. And then if any of the marine sanctuaries you want to visit, um, whale watching is always amazing. Um, And they don't have any fees at all um, at the marine sanctuaries. And oftentimes they'll have just amazing visitor centers. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of those as well when I get a chance to get out to the sea.
0: Mm. Our guest tonight has been Janelle Smith of Recreation.gov. Thank you so much for being our guest on Travel Itch Radio.
2: Thank you. I I really enjoyed my time with you. I appreciate it.
0: Good. We did too. And I think our listeners learned a lot because, as I said at the open, I never heard of Recreation.gov, and I bet most of them never did either. But now we're going to use it for sure. So thanks for making us aware of it. And now that the baseball season is well past the halfway mark, there's nothing better for off days or rain delays than a good baseball book. Like my latest, Baseball's Memorable Misses, an unabashed look at baseball's craziest zeros. The funniest and most unusual baseball book of the year It's an illustrated and entertaining paperback. Just $14.99 at your bookstore and even less from Amazon.com. Look for Sandy Koufax on the cover. Such a deal. Get it tonight. And that's it for this edition of Travel with Radio. Next week, same time, same stations. we'll talk with Ralph Guardiano, Gardien- owner of the Homestead, a special resort in the beach town of Madison, Connecticut. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with Mary Ellen Nugent Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. <laughs>